episode of Executive Talk. Those that are here with us live in the studio audience and also those that are watching us live and those that would be listening on podcasts. My name is Maurice Washington. Today's episode is a very important topic, something that's, if you look in the news, if you look in some of the newspapers um, here locally here in Colorado, and probably in your state, you can actually read about this. It's about affordable housing. Affordable housing is one of those areas right now that doesn't doesn't get that was not talked about quite that was not talked about often, but now what we're seeing is we're seeing this uh, come to the come to a national epidemic, and this is an important topic that we actually need to continuously address. And with us today we have Jim Davis, owner operator of Go Fresh Homes, with us today to talk to us a little bit further about this epidemic and help us understand what we need to understand because this is a relationship between tenants and investors. And so without further ado, please help us welcome Jim Davis. How you doing, Jim? Doing great. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Thanks for being here again. And before, before we get into this, for those that never met you before, just give us a little background on yourself and why you're so passionate regarding affordable housing. Well, I've been a financial executive for the last 30 years in the finance industry, so I've been all around the financial side. Over the last five years, I have concentrated on affordable housing due to the predominant needs that I see in the economics ahead of us. What I do in my everyday life is I put together unique investments and I maximize those investments by concentrating on people first, matching them up with homes that they can afford, and they get to provide this in the way of uh, providing for their families with dignity. That's what I do. That's what you do. All right. Well, then let's go ahead and jump into this, and let's define the epidemic. Because it's one thing to say the word epidemic, but if we don't really define it and help understand deeply what that means, it really doesn't mean anything. So help us define what this epidemic looks like. And I like the use of the word epidemic. You know, some people may think, well, isn't that a disease? But if you think about it, it's, it's widespread and something that we don't have a cure for. And that is what we have in affordable housing in a big way. There's 43 million renters in the United States. 43 million. This is a, that's a lot of people out there and every year they get to wake up with a rent increase or a potential of having to move somewhere because of really large rent increases that are out there. So my interest in, in, in thinking of this as an epidemic is just to, one, educate, because this is a really important issue. These 43 million renters in the United States are being left behind in the economic boom. And it's not something that when I talk to my investors, they don't quite understand. Gotcha. And I want you to, I want to address this as well. Just, just think about this for a minute, those that are watching at home and also here in the studio audience. If I say the word affordable housing, does it, does it say yes? Does it excite you at all? It probably sends you into a particular mindset. I'm assuming that investors think about affordable housing. And the, the first thing that they go to is Section 8 homes. And I think renters go through the same process as they point and relate to affordable homes under Section 8 housing. Is that, is that part of the issue here? I'd love for the words affordable housing to come out and people go, wow, <laughs> I'd love to hear about that. <laughs> right. But no, it, it is considered, uh, you know, and I look at it with a capital A and a capital H 
those are what I really put in uh, more formal programs, you know, government programs, Section 8, tax credit opportunities, and the like. Now, that's not what I do, but I, those are very important out there. I, I would like them to be done a little bit different way, but that's uh, a, another topic for another day. But what I concentrate on is a small A and a small H for affordable housing. I look at trying to provide something without doing this with a, a government assistance. It's, it's really about a focus on the tenant first, not on uh, a, a specific program. But there's a big stigma out there, and that's what we face all the time. I face that with uh, both sides of the equation, both the tenants and the investors, absolutely. absolutely. Tenants don't want to be associated with it. And we're going to talk about a few numbers today that might astound you out of these 43 million renters out there. I wouldn't consider it low income or affordable housing. These are hardworking people that go to work and they've proven themselves over and over again. They don't want to be lumped in there. And investors think affordable housing is some type of subsidized program with a lot of red tape. And that is not what we're going to talk about today. Okay. All right. So you understand, we got to make sure that we understand just the simple stronghold of a judgment when it comes to affordable housing is stopping people from making different choices and thinking differently. And so when we're talking about thinking differently, let's look at the United States. I pulled all five different states just as an example. Uh, and this is per hour rates that people need to earn in order to afford a two-bedroom house. And this is sourced back to nhlic.org, just for anybody that wants to look this up. But let's look, at, let's look at a couple of examples. We have Hawaii here at $35 per hour in order to afford a two-bedroom home. In the District of Columbia, that's second on the list as part of the USA, $33.58 per hour that you need to earn in order to afford a two-bedroom home. California is third on the list, as you can assume. $30.92 um, per hour. And we have Maryland, fourth, at $28.27 per hour. And then we have Colorado, at 12th, at $21.87 per hour. So, Jim, will you hear these numbers as to what, what does it mean to you? Well, on the face of it, just some numbers that, that pop up. And you, I try to think back to hourly wages and what people that I know that are in this situation are making, and certainly the numbers see high, seem high. But let's put it in a little bit of perspective here, and this is what I had to do to make some sense out of this. So looking at Colorado, where I'm from, at almost $22 an hour, that means they're making forty dollars to $45,000 a year to afford a two-bedroom apartment. Now I start going, okay, that seems like it ought to be a little high. It really is forty dollars to $45,000 a year that you have to make. And it's really uh, it, pretty impressive that the numbers are that high, not in a good way. Now, and if you'll allow me, we've got another slide here. I want to bring this more into perspective because here's the reality of that number. All right, let's take a look at it. 50% of the people in the United States could not afford to live in Colorado based on that number. 50% of the population in the United States, in fact, 50% of the households in the United States can't afford it. So let's go to a little graph here. Okay. Since, uh, and 
being in the financial industry, I, I do like <laughs> graphs and numbers. So, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to walk you through this if you'll allow me to, and I'll tell you everything about it and try to bring this in perspective. So, here we have uh, an inflation-adjusted average household income. So, and this goes from 1965 to 2015, okay. broken up into quintiles. And so you, you see those dark lines down here. So that's the bottom 20%, then 40 and 60, 80, et cetera. Uh, the jagged line up at the top is just the top 5%. We'll leave them out of the picture for right now. Some things that I want you to gather out of this. Uh, one, it's an inflation adjusted graph. So it, what it's trying to do is equate what income is now as to what it would have been back in 1965 if we back out all the inflation in that time. To, it's kind of what it feels like. Yeah. Okay? And we talked about this in the last show a little bit, but just a quick review for everybody there. So with these bottom lines, there, there's one thing that kind of comes out to me. Maybe you remember this from last show, Maurice. What do you notice about the bottom four lines here? Uh, they're stagnant or they stay pretty even. Staying pretty even. Yeah. So 80%, this is what 80% of the households uh, are looking at. And uh, I'm going to narrow down the timing here in just a little bit. But look at the top 20%. Look at that blue line there. Mm. There's a gap. And it starts out in 1965, but look how much that's widened as compared to everything else. And I, I still state the gap between that top 20% and the bottom 80 is going to widen and there's nothing stopping it. Not one thing is stopping it right now. So I'm going to now focus this in on 2000 to 2015. So if we look uh, starting there and it goes all the way to 2015, based on these numbers, just about all four of those lines are about the same level as they were uh, between those two time periods. They actually dip down. They're only by 2015, they're only just now coming up to where they were in 2000. Gotcha. So this is income. And this is household income. Okay. So what it means that household income really would have been about the same. It would have felt about the same gotcha. yeah. as it would have been once we back out all that inflation. Gotcha. Okay? Okay. Uh, if everybody's with me on that, let's go to this next slide because now we need to figure out where did people spend their money? Because this is where we're going to start getting into that second level of going, okay, all right, so the income's the same. Where do we spend it? So cost, and by the way, average income in the United States is about $60,000 a year or $5,000 a month. It's very close to that number, and it makes a nice round number for this show. So that's a number I'm going to use. Again, this is a family of four, and we're going to talk about three different categories. We're going to talk about... Uh, housing, we're going to talk about health care, and then we're going to talk about what's left over after you pay those two and all the other things that, that are out there. Fair enough? Fair enough. All right. So we start out with $5,000. Housing is 23% of our budget. Health care is 14% of the budget, and we have 27% left over. Now, I know everyone's uh, working in their heads right now trying to figure out exactly how much that is, but let me just show you how much that is. That is actually $1,350. Okay. Okay? okay? So um, I have to be good at math, but I'm just going to put a little bit of money out there. Now, discretionary income that this is going to represent 
It's what you use for emergencies. You may have uh, some car maintenance. Uh, you may have to pay a cell phone bill. Right. It's for things like that. Right. Okay? So that's in year 2000. Let's not make any judgment on whether that's a good amount of money or not. Let's just go to this next slide and go to 2015. So in 2015, the income's roughly the same. Remember the lines, about the same level. But how we spent the money is different these days. So now, look at housing. Went up to 33% from 23%. You know, that's $500 right there. So I'm going to take back $500 uh, out of this pile right here. Hmm. Now we're, we're left with that. But health care went up by 5%, so that's $250. So how much money do we have left over? Looks like $500. Yeah. Well, we got another 100 just in other things that went up, though. Oh, that's true. Now we're left with the $500. So we went from $1,350 a month. Now we're down to $500. This is where really things are, are starting to go on and why it's so important for everyone to understand why this is the case. Because a lot of people don't understand, and I, and I talk to investors, and they, they don't quite get it until we put it in these terms. But think about it this way. If I gave this amount of money to an average income earner in the United States, by the way, this is $850. I, did, I won't count it on, on, on screen just because I, <laughs> okay. I don't want to miscount something. <laughs> but $850, if I put that on the table, would that change the lives of someone making $60,000 a year, a household? Absolutely. And this is every single month. They're doing without this compared to what they were doing in 2000. And that's a huge number. That is a huge number. All right. So we're talking almost 10 grand a year that's off the table. And so this, this when you mentioned that, this, uh, I don't know, sparks a question for me because we're seeing a lot of tiny homes. Are you guys familiar with that? You know, before that was never a thing. But now t tiny homes is a thing. Um, we're seeing a lot of people choose, because you said transportation, this is on the list for 17%. That did not even include uh, car insurance. So we're seeing a lot of, I, I've, I've seen a lot of people choose to rent the car for the day and just other vehicle options in order to mitigate their expenses. And so is this, is this what this epidemic is happening? Is this some of the manifestation of people trying to earn that $850 back? Absolutely. And I call it uh, the voice of people, and they're doing, usually people uh, state things with their feet. They just walk away from things like their automobiles. This is the part where they're saying stuff, and we hear, but we aren't listening to what's being said. Tiny homes, think about those. Uh, you know, the homes on the wheels, you see them being uh, drugged behind, a truck, or I call it the, a Volkswagen experience traveling across the nation. Now, some people say, well, they're a fad, so I don't take a lot of uh, heart into those. But it's noise that's being made. It's a reaction to this type of an environment. And although I'm not sure that a lot of people really want to move their home and just have that mobility, it's a stand on minimalism. And we're seeing that all across the country. All across the country, the large homes are not selling. It's the smaller homes. It's the, I only live in the 
800 square feet of the 5,000 square foot home, that's what they're looking for. All those things are noises out there in the marketplace that we're just starting to listen to and understand by going through some of these numbers. You know, one thing about um, this, as I met with you and just getting to know you more, as a homeowner, when it comes to inflation, you don't really feel the, the direct effects in the housing market for inflation. But as a renter, you're subject to the inflation. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? Well, absolutely. So you, when you read the newspaper uh, and you see the headlines come up, inflation, they can't even hardly get it to 2%. But if you're one of the 43 million renters out there, your inflation between healthcare and housing is extremely large. So you, you can't tell those people there's no inflation out there. If you own your home, you don't have an annual increase. You're locked in at the, the lowest rates around. If you don't own a home, you're being left behind based on where rates are today. And in fact, let's take a look at uh, the next slide. Now we're just two years later, since that data only went to 2015, and we go to uh, 2017, how much have we lost since then? So incomes went up a little bit, but not quite as much. You're down $250. Mm. Where will we be in another two years? That's why you're having people that are foregoing transportation to be able to live in an urban area. They're having to move farther out if they want to keep their, their transportation. It's far too expensive, and it's digging into their discretionary all the time. This is what they take care of their family with, especially if there's an emergency, health issue, anything like that. That's why, when we talked about this on the last show, this affects them in a lot of different ways, including spiritual impacts inside the home. Sure. And let's look at it from an annual point of view. If you're sitting at $1,350 per month as far as discretionary income, and that's what we suggested in 2000, and then in 2015, you're up to $500 a month, $6,000, that is a $10,200 difference a year that you're losing just based off of inflation. That's, that's tough to fill, and that's tough to really uh, take in, I'm assuming, as a, as a, as a renter. And let's think about it from a present day point of view, as Jim was thinking about 5,000 at that. So 5,000 looks like that's a pretty good number. When 5,000 meets you every month and you're strapped at 5,000, you start scratching your head. Like, I feel like I'm, I have enough money. But then if inflation starts taking over that 5,000, you, you know, it goes, it slips into the slippery slope of low income. Now, Jim, you have a, a, a slightly different perspective on that. So talk to us. Yeah, absolutely. $60,000 a year, you know, median income. It's not a bad number. In fact, it seems like it ought to pay a lot of bills that are out there. But it's not even limited to that group and, and those that make less than $60,000. We're talking about 80% of the households in the United States being affected by this. Inside that 80% is where the 43 million renters are. Right. But we're still having health care rising. The cost of a home, if you make $100,000, is that enough to even purchase a home 
in Colorado, not based on the average. 80% of the people in the United States, from a household perspective, can't buy a home in some of the states that are out there. Certainly not what we saw in California, you know, Washington, D.C., Hawaii. Right. But now Colorado's in there, and we're just in the 12th position. So what people think about low income and affordable housing, we need to rearrange our mindset. Yeah. This is not uh, just going down to the, you know, the 20 40%. This is 80% that we're really facing. $100,000 of household income and less are being affected by this going on. And believe it or not, if you're making 100000 you may be talking about whether you need a car to get you from A to B in an urban area. So it's important and it's not just isolated, epidemic, epidemic. very widespread. Yes, yes. So you think about the word, again, low income, it puts you in a, it puts you in a mindset. And the way that low income is looked at, you know, from a governmental point of view, from, from an investment point of view, if you're strapped, you can be lumped in the category that, you're, that you shouldn't be in. That, that's, um, and again, it's not like, uh, so here in the government, we are looking at, you know, the focus on jobs to help us get more jobs, which is fine. But then when the, it comes on the increase of income, well, that's a whole different category. As we saw, if you're somewhere around the $16, $17 per hour, you can be strapped financially just based off of where you're at per hour. And it's not, it's not a bad budget. So for investors, these these are a lot of people out here who actually have the means to actually afford. They're just strapped just based off of inflation. Um, so what does it mean investing in people when it comes from an investor point of view? What does that mean to you? I've found that what really works out there and what provides a, a great match is when you invest in the people first. We're talking about qualified, hard-working families, retired couples, people that have proven themselves. Yeah. This is not, uh, uh, and I, I emphasize this because a lot of times people think this is some type of a, a giveaway, and it's not. These people are already proven themselves, and they bound out of bed every single morning. A lot of times, two people bound out of bed every morning to go to work and hit these numbers that we're yeah. talking about. So when I talk about investing in people, this is about recognizing what they have done. Once you find those people, then it's a, my job. All right, let's see where I can find a home that's affordable. But I have to buy right, and I have to think differently. And that's what I invite you and everybody else uh, in the audience and at home to think about is thinking differently about this problem. We're not going to solve the problem by just having government programs. Mm -hmm. But there's things you can do out there that you, you look at the right people and you find the right product and you make a match between those two and it becomes this magic trifecta between the tenant, the home, and the investors. Everybody gets to win. And that's what I like doing is putting together that combination so that everybody can win. That's the only thing I've found that really works long term. And this is a long term problem. We have a confluence of all these issues out there. The gap that we talked about earlier, we've got 
technology and the industrial revolution number four that's in place right now, and a lot of jobs are going away and they're not coming back. Finding the marginal value inside of our, our workforce is something we're gonna have to be very cognizant on because this is something that's moving incredibly fast. And the level of inflation that they're dealing with is phenomenal. Yeah. So we have our work cut out for us. Investing in people, that is, uh, I think, the key to the whole issue. You know, um, here's Jim's contact information. I want to make sure that you guys have it. Here's his phone number, and here's his website, go, gofreshhomes.com. Email address jd at gbsc.global. And the reason why we're giving this information is so you can reach out. Um, you know, I've, again, Jim and I, we've done this show before, so you can absolutely go back in the archives and actually see it, see it on the YouTube channel. But each time we do this show, it gets me into a place of, uh, a deeper place with understanding what this means. What I love about Jim's business is not because I know him, but there's a merger here. There's a merger of an investor. There's a merger of a tenant. Both of them want success. Your, family, your, your average family is out here hurting. Okay, when we look at that $500, we did not include food. We did not include a lot of different things. And this is coming back home to the basics, to just that field. So if... If for me, if I, my income has not increased, if I can even have the feeling of what 2000 used to look like, where that was 1350 extra in my bank account, that would help me out tremendously. Because that gives me peace of mind. Because guess what? Kids still want things. <laughs> Kids still need things. Husband and wife, they, that, there's still a functionality that parents need to have. That 1350 can mean a world of difference to today's family to make a move. That's Christmas for a lot of people. We have no clue what that means to people, and it's, it's about movement. And you know, Jim brought up the spiritual aspect of this whole thing. When your money is tight, the spiritual aspect starts to dwindle down because you start to, your faith starts to dwindle. And when your faith starts to dwindle, everything else starts to, seems to roll from there. And just to help people stay in that faith, stay, stay in that belief system, it's part of this whole cycle. So investors, you have a rare opportunity right now to help families to come together, to come to that place. And to, because you have the ability and we're calling on you in a, in a sense to, to help this epidemic. We're not gonna change it overnight. But what we can do is just do baby steps to actually start pointing towards that to ease up on what's going on in, in the United States, in this housing. Let's find a way for people to live. That's one of the basic needs that we all have. Was there anything that you wanted to say before we got, get out of here, Jim? Well, for investors out there and for tenants, it's a great way to marry the head and the heart. That's right. You get to do something that is really good and probably one of the most important things in the, the economy right now in the entire United States. That's it. In every metro area out there. But it also makes sense in your head. That I love. So I thank you for that. Um, please follow us on Facebook, follow us on LinkedIn, and let's keep this conversation going and share this with some investors that you may know that can help them out. Um, but what we're going to do is Jim and I, we actually have to get back to work. So 
we'll talk to you guys later. Have a good day. Thank you so much.